Thank you for listening to the Paradigm Podcast. Paradigm is a young adult ministry that exists to see lives changed by Jesus. For more information about Paradigm, go to ParadigmKC.com. We hope this message is inspiring and life-changing. Thanks for listening. copy God's Word, why don't you find the book of Mark, chapter 5 is where we're going to be at tonight. If you're new to the Bible, Mark is in the second half of your Bible. You'll find Matthew and then Mark, chapter 5, is where we're going to be at tonight. And I'm so glad that you made the decision to get here tonight. If we are just now meeting, let me introduce to you my family. Here's a picture of me and my crew right here. This is my wife, Chelsea, and our three girls. We got a little beach getaway this summer. And uh, man, ha- having a family is awesome. Some of y'all have some kids, some of y'all have some family, but let me just tell you, marriage and kids, it's amazing. And I remember just a few years ago, my wife and I, we got married, and then we were married. We were like, we were called dinks, double income, no kids for a couple of years, and then we got pregnant, and uh, we were pregnant with Lydia, and it was amazing. Like, having kids is one of the greatest blessings that God has given us, and, and I remember we had little Lydia, and like, all this love, and like, all this joy, and, and all, like, it felt like new purpose, and laughter, and, and giggles, and cute, and smells that were cute and all of the just baby goodness. It was amazing. And uh, my wife and I, we, um, you know, we, we were just really excited. And then um, a, a few months later, she got pregnant. And so we had two kids in 17 months. And I remember that when we were getting ready to have the second baby, Elizabeth, there was a little bit of a, of a quandary in my life. I'm like, man, I love Lydia. Like, I, I didn't know I could love somebody like I love this child. Like, when she came in the world, I, came, I became a potential murderer. You know what I mean by that? Is if you, if you come at my girl, I'll kill you. You know, like Patriot with the hatchet style, all right? I'll go all out and then lick the hatchet when I'm done because it's crazy, right? Because I love her so much. You know, I just love her so much. And then, so when, we had, when Chelsea got pregnant with Elizabeth, um, so, some of you are like, that man's not right. There's something wrong with him. But let me just explain. When we got pregnant with Elizabeth, I was like, I was a little bit in a, in a quandary because I'm like, man, I love Lydia so much. I don't know if I'm going to love the next one as much as I love this one. And I felt like, uh-oh, this is going to be, we're, gonna, we're about to have to divide and conquer, so to speak. That, that the love that we have for Lydia, now it's going to be split between her and this one. Uh, the joy that we experienced with Lydia, and now it's going to be split between this one and this one. All the new purpose and all the smells and all the thrills and the frills and all the curly hair and the bubble bath. I mean, it's going to be split between this one and this one. But here's what I learned. That when you have life in your home and you have more lives coming to that home, life just multiplies. The love multiplies. The joy multiplies. That sense of purpose and new beginnings and all of it, it just multiplies. That when you add life, you multiply life. And the reason why I share that with you is because paradigm is pregnant, y'all. What I mean by that is that we are about to launch another paradigm in the city, in the crossroads of Kansas City. And our due date is May 30th. And here's what I know to be true. We're not going to be divided in the mission of God. We're not going to be divided in the purpose of God. We're not going to be divided in the love of God. We're not going to be divided in all the frills and all the thrills of doing ministry for the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to be multiplied in that effort. And this is the plan that we read in the scriptures all along. Jesus steps onto the scene. He lives a sinless life, dies a sinner's death, raises from 
from the grave, and before he pieces out to the right hand of the Father, he gives a shout out to his disciples, and he gives them a great commission. And he says this, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and then you're going to go change the world by being my witnesses in Jerusalem. That was there here. Then he says, you're going to go to Judea. That was there. And then Samaria, that was there. And then he says, everywhere. He said, you're going to go everywhere and be my witnesses. And the plan all along in the mission and the movement of Jesus Christ was multiplication. That Jesus, he came so that we would be witnesses here and that we would be witnesses there. And tonight, I want to talk to you about one of the craziest stories in the Bible. And it's going to conclude with a man that gives his life to being a witness in his hometown, to being a witness here. If you're taking notes, I've titled this message, Witnesses Here. We're continuing the series here and there where we're talking about God's call on our church to multiply ourselves. And we're calling you to the mission of God that permeates a location that we've said this, that the mission of God is location independent. And tonight we're looking at this story about a man's life who was radically changed. And then he committed his life to share how Jesus changed his life in his hometown. In Mark chapter five, what's going on is that Jesus, he has launched his ministry. And if you don't know much about Jesus, Jesus came to change the world, y'all. And he did, all right? Like your calendar, it's based upon Jesus's birthday, all right? Your checkbook, it recites dates that were, that were set by Jesus's arrival. Like he's kind of a big deal. And Jesus, he came to change the world, but he didn't just come to change the world like, like the big world. He came to change your world. He came to meet individual lives. That Jesus, he met people and he showed the love of God. Jesus met people and he showed the grace of God. He showed the mercy of God, but he also flexed on some folks, y'all. Like he showed that he is the Lord of Lords and that he is God of very God, that he's the capital K King, all right? Jesus steps onto the scene. He does some amazing things that are so tender, but then he does some things that are tough, all right? And this story is one of these showdowns, so to speak, that really isn't much of a showdown. It isn't like a, like a Fury Jake showdown, all right? This is something that's like, this is a, 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 a unanimous heavyweight champion of the universe type thing, and Jesus flexes on some demons in this story. So I'm excited that you're here tonight. I'm fired up about this story. This is one of my favorite stories in all of the Bible. And here's what's going on. Jesus, he, he set out and started his ministry with the bank. And he's doing some amazing things. And we find ourselves in Mark chapter five and he meets this guy whose life was forever changed upon this meeting. It says this in Mark five, starting in verse one. It says, so they arrived at the other side of the lake. Now what's going on real quick is that they were on the lake and the lake like bust out in some really bad storm. Jesus was snoozing on the boat and his guys wake him up because they were freaked out. Jesus stands up and he looks not at the guys, but he looks at the storm. I don't know if you've ever talked to a storm. Jesus did and he just looks at the storm and says, hey, knock it off. And the storm does. Like it, it listens to him. And like all of his guys are like, like they're freaked out. And they get afraid of Jesus, but they still stay with Jesus and they draw near to him. And so that has just happened, like, like that was like last night that happened. So I don't know if you ever read the Bible, and sometimes there's, there's years in between stories, but we read them like there was just moments. And then other times there were moments in, in between different stories, and we just kind of gloss through them. But his guys, his disciples, have just seen their master calm a storm. And this is what happens next. This is like, like activity upon activity. It says, in the region of Gerasenes, this is where they are on the other side of the lake. It says this in verse 2. And when Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by evil spirits came out from the tombs to meet him. 
Um, now, uh, some of your translations say a man that was demon-possessed. Now, I'm not going to give a discourse on the demonic tonight, but let me just say this, that the Bible is going to be very clear that there is more than meets the eye. Like it's going to say elsewhere in Ephesians chapter 6 that we battle against, we don't battle against flesh and blood, rather, but we battle against things that are unseen, that there's a, there's a natural world and then there's a supernatural world. There's a visible world and there's an invisible world. And the man in this story, he is, he is possessed by demons. He has unclean, evil spirits that have taken hold of his life. And so you get the picture. Like this guy, they immediately, the disciples have seen the storm calm. Jesus steps out onto the land and then this guy runs up to him. And this is where we pick up in verse 3. It gives us a little bit of a bio of the guy. It says this in verse three, this man, he lived in the burial caves and he could no longer be restrained even with a chain. He's, he's yerked, he's strong, he's yoked. He says this, whenever he put, whenever uh, he has, excuse me, let's start over, verse four. Can't read tonight, here we go. Whenever he was put into chains and shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains from his wrists and he smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night he wandered among the burial caves and in the hills howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. You get the picture, right? So here's this guy. This is his bio. This is the reputation that this guy has built up, that he's strong, he's powerful, he's forceful. And every time somebody tries to bind him with chains, he breaks them. Every time they put shackles on his feet, he claws them off and he breaks them. And he's living in a cemetery. He's living in, in a place where dead things are. And at night, he's howling like an animal. He's taking rocks and whatever else he could find, and he's self-mutilating. He's cutting himself. And this is the bio of the guy. He's intimidating. People know that's where that person lives. And we don't go around that person. And now he has he has stormed Jesus. He has ran up to Jesus as soon as he stepped off the boat. This is what Jesus sees. And the brother's nude as well. All right? It's crazy. All right? Everything about this situation is like, this is uncomfortable. Right? What if this happened at Paradigm tonight? We'd be like, well, that's a night to remember. Right? That's why this story is recorded in three of the gospel narratives. Because they were so struck by the issues that this guy had and by the way Jesus responded that they never forgot. What we see here is that the enemy is fast at work in this guy's life. And you need to note this, that he's fast at work in your life too. See, we see the dichotomy of the demonic in this story. What I mean by that is you see that the, that the demon, the, the enemy, if you will, is giving this guy something that could be potentially good, but it's costing this guy something. That we see this guy is strong, he's got strength, he can break chains and shackles. And so the enemy has given him strength, but he's also made him a slave. See, the dichotomy of the enemy is that you can have something, but it will cost you something, and in fact, it will cost you everything eventually. This guy, he's strong, but he's a slave. The enemy's trying to make you a slave to anything other than Christ. And the way that the enemy's trying to enslave you is the same way that he's trying to enslave me. It's typically through temptation and seduction. And you may be getting a payoff right now, but the end game for the enemy is slavery. And so we see this guy in his condition. He's living in a, a gated community, not the one that you want to live in, all right? He's living full of shame. 
He's living in a way that's in isolation even. And he's doing things that you and I would never dream of doing. How did he get there? He got there one choice at a time, one temptation at a time. And eventually something that he was laying hold of began to lay hold of him and he became a slave. And this is the end game of the enemy. The end game of the enemy is slavery for everybody. And we see his condition here that that this guy was alone. The enemy wants you isolated. That this guy was naked. Naked in the Bible is a euphemism for he was, he, was, he was shamed. He was full of shame. He was exposing his shame. The enemy wants you to be shameful. The enemy wants you to carry around condemnation and guilt and shame. And this guy, he was living among the dead. The enemy wants you to look for life in places where death only exists. I don't know about you, but I've met this guy before. Not this exact guy, that'd be kind of odd for me to say that, but I've met this type of person before. And in fact, I think I've been this type of person before. My condition hasn't been quite as extreme as this in some ways, but it's been more extreme in other ways, I'm sure, in God's eyes. That there's been times in my life where I've, I've chosen to give into the temptation or into the seduction or into whatever the lure is, thinking that I'm going to get some payoff, but it was enslaving me simultaneously. That this guy's story is more like my story and it's more like your story than we can ever even imagine. And you've met this guy before. The guy that's loaded with money. You know, he's like a 25 or a 30-year-old millionaire. And you're like, how did that happen? And the brother paid the price to get his seven figures. That he's rich, he's got money, but he's a slave to work. You've met this girl before, that she's stylish and she's got fashion, but she's also got debt and she's a slave to materialism. You've met the dude that's just jacked and he's got big every muscles and legs and calves and he just can crunch just weights, but he's addicted to steroids and to supplements. You've met the person before that they're, that they're thin or they're curvy, but they're addicted to an eating disorder. You've met the person before that is sexually satisfied and sexually promiscuous and has a good sex life, they would say, but they're addicted to porn and self-pleasing. That the enemy wants you to get some sort of payoff and give you some sort of temptation, but in the end, the enemy wants to enslave you just like he's done with this guy in Mark chapter 5. And we don't know exactly what this guy did. The Bible doesn't give us a whole backstory. It just kind of tells us here was what was going on in his life right now. And so we don't know what kind of lie he started believing when he was young. We don't know the type of things that he was exposed to when he was young. We just know that he's got to a place, a destination that is destructive in his life. We just know that somewhere along the way, he exposed himself to something, to something demonic, and it has laid hold of his life. And being in people business, the the length that I have been, and knowing myself for the time I've known myself, I could conclude that the way that this guy got there was the same way people get into dark places, and it's one choice at a time. See, I think for a lot of us, we maybe had a time in our life where we were close to God. I want you to imagine this, this table is, it represents God, and, and at one time, maybe we were close to God. Maybe even this guy, he was, he was close to God. But one decision at a time took him a step away from God. And maybe he started looking at pornography, and he took a step away from God. And then he started binge drinking. It took him a step away from God. And then he started, then he started trying to do some things that would, that would make him feel better than other people. Like he started overworking and he thought he was more important than other people and it took him a step away from God. 
And then maybe he fell into a, or maybe he got into a relationship and he began to compromise in that relationship and he took a step away from God. And then he had his heart broken in that relationship. And so the way that he responded to that heartbreak was he began to pursue substances so that he could get high and take a little bit of the edge off and he took a step away from God. And decision after decision led him to have distance in his relationship with God. And maybe he's bought into the lie that you've bought into before or that I've bought into before and it's the lie one more time. You know, like you'll come to a place like this, you're like, man, I know I've got some issues, and so I'm gonna get everything, I'm gonna get everything right by Sunday, but Friday night, I'm going all out. One more time. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go drinking one more time. I, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna take the booty call one more time. I, I'm, I'm gonna look at pornography one more time. I'm gonna take the hit one more time. I'm gonna swipe the car one more time. And the lie of one more time, here's the lie. You think that you're gonna do it one more time and that'll be the end but you're feeding the very thing that has consumed you and controlled you, and you're making it stronger every time that you feed it. And so I don't know how this guy got there, but I know that he probably got there. I could conclude, I could assume that he probably got there one choice at a time. And this guy, he's blind to his own slavery, and no amount of chains could stop him. Do you know this guy? Maybe you are this guy, or maybe you are this person that you give in to this or, or you give in to that, and then maybe you felt like the sting of, of sin and confess, like maybe you know better, but you know that you're not doing better. And I don't know if you're anything like me, but there's been times in my life where I've done things, I'm like, I know I shouldn't do that. And so I then would respond with behavior modification. And so I would put a shackle on my feet, so to speak. I would, put, I would put cuffs on my hands, so to speak. I would put something external trying to control the thing that was internal that was still growing and it was still getting stronger and eventually the external behavior modification, I broke through those things. And many of you are trying to address something that is plaguing you with something external. You think, I'm gonna put all, I'm gonna clad my life with all of these moralistic doings, thinking that that's gonna be the thing that's gonna erode and undercut the thing that is coming from inside of me. And what Jesus is teaching us is that this guy, the more he tried to restrain his strong tendencies, the more he broke through those and became stronger. And you and I, we have a desire in our life. We have something in our life that if we think that we can manage it from the outside in, it's not gonna work. And this guy, he was thinking, you know, I'm far from God. I'm in a dark place, but I can, I can put some chains and some restraints upon me, and then that's gonna fix it, but it doesn't. And so you make another commitment, and then you try harder one more time, only to fall harder on your face and be even more discouraged than when you started. And this guy, he believed in the lie one more time. He believed that he could, he, could, he could kind of manage and he could do behavior modification. He could put chains upon his cravings, upon these demons, but you can't change something that comes from within. You don't need behavior modification. You need a heart transformation. This guy, he got there the way that you and I probably would get to a dark place like this. One lie at a time that we believed, and then one choice at a time that we lived out. That this guy, he fed something in his life that began to control them. Question, what lie are you listening to? Pastor Phil, the lead pastor at Abundant Life, my pastor, he says this, the lie that you believed the earliest is typically the lie that you believe the longest. 
What lie are you listening to and are you believing that lie so much so that you're acting out upon that? So what lie are you listening to and what path are you on? Because here's what I know to be true. If you're distant from your relationship with God and still headed in that same direction, you're not gonna get close to God because you can't walk two places or in two directions at the same time. What path are you on? What lie are you listening to? And this guy, man, he was far from God, but we see, even though he was far from God, he's now bum-rushed to Jesus, and he's falling before Jesus, and here's what it says in verse six. It says, when Jesus was still some distance away, the man saw him, I love this, he saw Jesus, and note this, this is like a master class on how to get right with God when you're far from him. You see Jesus, and then he ran to meet him. Like nothing was stopping him from getting to Jesus. And then he bowed low before him. And it says in verse seven, with the shriek, he screamed, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. And right at this point, all the disciples are like, whoa, man, this is crazy. <laughs> you know, like they're on TikTok, like y'all gotta see this. You know, like they are like freaked out. Like this is like Jesus just calmed, he just rebuked the wind and the waves. And now this, like, bro, just sliding before him like it's a soccer game on his knees, and he's just, like, begging, and he's shrieking, and everybody's like, uh, you know, I'm just going to, Jesus, you got this, bro. I'm just going to get back in the boat. Peter, Thomas, Bartholomew, let's go. You know, like, grab an oar, you know? Like, they're just like, we're just going to hang out here, right? They were wanting to get out of the boat because they thought they were going to die in the storm, and now they're wanting to get back in the boat because they think this brother is about to kill them. But Jesus, he just simply says this in verse 8. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, come out of the man, you evil spirit. Now in the original language, this is, this is um, meant to be understood as like a back and forth. And so when he says come out of the man, in the Greek, it's this, it's this idea in the grammar that it's, he's saying this over and over and over. So you get kind of the, 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 the dialogue, right? You get this guy and he's on his knees and he's begging and he's shrieking. He's saying, you know, son of the most high God. You know, and then Jesus is, he's standing looking at the guy saying, coming out, come out of the spirit. And then this guy's just going back and forth. He's like, have mercy on us. And then Jesus is like, hey, bro, come out of the spirit. You know, like, like he's just like talking back and forth. That's what's going on. And then it just says in verse nine, Jesus demanded, so eventually, I guess, Jesus just said, hey, hey, knock it off, you know. I can appreciate that. I don't know if you've ever been in a, in a, in a verbal argument. At, at some point, it's like, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> and he says, uh, what's your name? You're like this back and forth, back and forth. And then he's just like, I'm sorry, but let's start over. What's your name? You see, <laughs> can I meet you? Love that. This guy replies, my name is Legion. I'm just, I don't know how he said it, but I just freaked y'all out. I just freaked y'all out. Sorry, sorry. I should have done that. I'm sorry. Woo! All right. Every scary movie lover is like, that was it. That was it. Oh, I love this. I love scary movies. What's wrong with you? Yeah. Uh, he said, my name's Legion. <laughs> uh, because there are many of us inside of this man. I want you to note this, that this man is being identified by his demon. Uh, this word legion, it's a, it's a Roman military term to refer to three to 6,000 people. That this guy, what came out of this guy was some sort of demonic thing that had controlled him, a demonic spiritual force that had controlled him that was so powerful he identified himself that there are about 3,000 of us in this, in this body. 
And what's sad is that Legion is not the name that mama gave this guy. This is now like this guy, his whole identity has been, has been hijacked by this demonic activity because he exposed himself to something, because he began to believe something, he opened himself to something, demonic activity, demons moved into this guy's life, and now he has lost even who he is. He's lost his name, he has lost his identity, and he is legion. C.S. Lewis, a famous author in the 20th century, he was taking an inventory upon his life in a book called Surprised by Joy. And he says this, in order to relate to this guy, he says this, for the first time I examined myself with a seriously practical purpose. I love this, C.S. Lewis is saying, you know, I got real. Oh, have you gotten real yet? Has there been a time in your life where you really started looking in the mirror and you had God's holiness as best as you can understand that? And you begin to evaluate your life, not just the things you've done, but what's going on in your heart, what you've sloshed around inside of your heart. Lewis is doing that in this, and he says, so I examine myself with seriously practical purpose, and there I found what appalled me. He said, a zoo of lusts, a bedlam of ambitions, a nursery of fears, a harem of fondled hatreds. And he says, my name was Legion. What Lewis is saying is I took inventory upon my heart, and I realized there's a lot of, dis of dysfunctional things in there. I took inventory upon my heart and I realized that, that there are a host of things. If I, if I gave into those things, I would end up much like this man, isolated, full of shame, and living amongst dead things. I wonder what would happen if we took inventory. I wonder what would happen if we got real and we began to see what are the things inside of us. I think that we could relate to this guy a lot better if we would. In some regard, this is what your life would look like, this man. Isolated full of shame, living amongst dead things. In some regard, this is what your life would look like without Jesus' intervention. So here's what I want you to get. You may not be too different than this guy that we find in Mark chapter five. You, you feel in the weight of helplessness in this guy's life? Are you, are you feeling the, the, the hopelessness, the, the, the despair? Are you feeling like, oh, oh, do you feel empathy for this guy yet? Do you feel like, man, if, if, if this is gonna be a miracle, if at any, like I'm surprised this guy's still alive, he should be dead somewhere, he should be in a morgue. You feeling that yet? And for some of you, as I describe those things, maybe you're thinking of your own self, that maybe this would be you, if you gave in to all of the things that are inside your heart, maybe this could be you. Or tonight, maybe this is you. Alone, ashamed, hurting yourself, living with dead things. Verse 10, it says this, then the evil spirits, I love this, they begged Jesus again and again not to send them into some distant place. Some of your translations say into the abyss. They're saying, we, Jesus, would you not send us to hell right now? And they're begging Jesus. And it says in verse 11, there happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. And the demon says, well, send us into those pigs. And they were begging again. And they said, let us enter them, verse 13. So Jesus gave them permission, odd, it's odd that he would do that, right? They're begging, the demons are begging, all the disciples are like, lame tactic, you're done, you know? And then Jesus is like, as you wish. You know, like gave them permission, you know? 
And they're just watching this like, what is going on? But even the fact that Jesus gave them permission flexes his authority. If I told you that my wife had come to me and said, hey, Chad, could I go to the grocery store? I said, well, I'll give you permission. You'd be like, whoa, 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 that's not how that relationship works, right? Because I'd be trying to flex some sort of weird authority over her. You only give people permission when you're the boss. You only give people permission when you're the king. Jesus is definitely the boss. He's the king. It says this, then the evil spirits came out of the man and they entered the pigs and the entire herd, about 2,000 pigs, plunged down the deep hillside into the lake and they drowned in the water. Okay, y'all gotta get here with me, okay? 2,000 pigs. There are about 2,500 seats in this auditorium. Okay, so imagine a pig in every share, uh, Sands 500. That's like that section right there, all right? And then like you're a disciple and you're watching this. You're like, you know, and, and you, you're, you're just barely into Mark's gospel, okay? So you, you just started following Jesus, all right? So like y'all still trying to figure each other out. You still trying to figure out like who his cousin is, who his auntie is. You don't know everybody's name yet, all right? Y'all just been hanging out for a little while. And then the whole storm situation and Jesus done some cool stuff and then you're a little bit scared. You're like, okay, this guy, he's, yeah, maybe he is uh, the Messiah. And then this happens. The demons, they are driven into a herd of 2,000 pigs. They're still on the beach, all right? And so I don't know if the pigs, like I don't know if they ran into the Sea of Galilee, how close they were to the disciples, but you have 2,000 pigs and they charge into this body of water until they drowned. I don't know if you've ever heard a pig in distress. It is blood curdling to hear a pig squeal. And I can only imagine 2,000 of them. Now, a couple of things to note that in the Bible, a pig is it's considered an unclean animal. And so the, you get the picture. Jesus is driving these unclean spirits into an unclean animal. And when things were driven into water and they drowned in the water and they were submerged underneath the water, the underbelly of a lake or of an ocean or of a sea was considered cursed in the ancient days. And so you have these unclean animals going to a place of cursing and Jesus is drawing a picture and he's saying that is just a foreshadow, that's a trailer of what's to come for all the demonic. And so if you're here tonight and there's something that is plaguing you, there's something that is oppressing you that the medical community can't figure out and there's something that's almost supernatural, invisible, that's come against you. I'm here to tell you that there is one greater, and if you trust your life over to him, greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. And nothing that is demonic or dark or whatever could oppress you can ever take hold of you in finality that the foreshadow, the trailer to come is that Jesus will flex his dominion in the end over everything that is dark, everything that is crooked, everything that is wicked in this world. That is good news tonight. That is good news tonight. The Bible's going through great lengths to say there's no match here. I think some of us have this picture of like Jesus like wrestling with the enemy, you know? Like, like Jesus and Satan are like arm wrestling and like we don't know, you know? It's like it's good versus evil and we don't know and like hopefully and, and we're all kind of like, ah, oh, are we gonna win? And, and are they, is, is Jesus gonna come back? We don't know what's gonna happen in the second half. Like listen, the Bible goes through great lengths to prove time and time again that Jesus is the Lord of all things, that, he, that there's no match for Jesus, all right? Let me explain it this way. My, my youngest daughter, she's six. She's so sweet. Anna Joy's her name. And uh, when we've been praying. We pray around the table. And, and recently, for some reason, um, she just grabs my finger really hard. You know, so like, like I'll be praying, and she's just like white knuckling my hand, you know? And I look over, and, and she's not praying. She's trying to hurt daddy, all right? And she's trying to test her strength. And then like, we'll get done praying, and, and then she'll like, yeah, 
oh, and she'll look at me like, how did that feel, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and, and she's no match for me. Like if I told you guys I got into a fight this weekend, you're like, oh yeah, tell me more, what happened? And, and I told you, I'm like, I dominated. They're like, who did you get a fight with? I'm like, my six-year-old. Like you're not impressed, right? There's no match there, you know? I don't think Jesus is up in heaven with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, like, yeah, man, had a showdown this week. And they're like, who'd you have a showdown with? He's like, with the demons. They're gonna look at Jesus and go, please, bro, that's no match. Why are you bragging about that, right? And the Bible is going through great lengths to show us that Jesus is God and that nothing stands a chance against him. That he's the sovereign Lord of the universe He's not flexing because he beats some demon. He's just being who he is, and he's awesome. You get the picture, right? Okay, so we're, we're the Bay of Pigs. All the pigs, they've drowned, you know, and like you have the disciples, and they're just like, you know, maybe they're still in the boat. I'm not real sure where they're at, but they're, it's just a little bit concerning, and this, these demons, they've come out. I don't know if there was lights, if it was invisible. I don't know if there was, you know, I don't know, but there's just all of this activity that's happening, and then it says this in verse 14. It says, the herdsmen... Now, these are just some country folks out there, bless their hearts, you know, they're just like, what is going on, you know? They're saying, Dad, go, you know, what was that, you know? The herdsmen, they fled to the nearby town, sure they did. And they fled to the surrounding countryside. They ducked for cover is what happened. And then they began to spread the news as they ran. And then people, they rushed out and they, they rushed out to see what, what had happened in verse 15. And no doubt, it says a crowd soon gathered around Jesus and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. Note this. He was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane. And they were all afraid. It says in verse 16, Then those who had seen what had happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs. And their worldview was Shattered, their paradigm was shaken because they knew this guy. They knew how bleak they knew how bleak his situation was, but now they see him, and his life has been radically changed. This guy's life was changed by Jesus. Has your life been changed by Jesus? I just want to ask you two questions with the remainder of our time. That's the first one. Has your life been changed by Jesus? And what I mean by that is not have you had an experience with Jesus. Not, if you have, not do you have some information about Jesus, not, not do you, you, um, you, you know some things that your grandma taught you or that, that you've been to church before. Has your life been changed by Jesus? Has there been a time in your life where, where you were headed this way and then you, you had an encounter with the living God, you repented of your sins, and you started following him this way? Has your life been changed by Jesus? Because really that's the goal. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter what church you go to. It doesn't matter what location you're in. What matters for eternity is have you met the living God? Have you put your faith and trust in Jesus? And the reason why all of this is here is so that you and I would have our life changed by Jesus. The reason why this story has been preserved is so that you and I could know, don't miss this, that you and I could know with confidence that if Jesus saved this guy, he can save you. And if Jesus changed this guy's life, 
he can change your life. That this guy, he was a mess. He was a maniac. But we're going to see here in a minute that he became a missionary. You may have come here tonight isolated, living in shame, hurting yourself, making decisions that are not best for your future, living amongst the spiritually dead. You may have come in here tonight and your life is out of control. And you may have tried and, and tried and tried to chain your behavior. You may have tried to chain your addiction, to try to chain your codependency, to try to chain your sexual promiscuity, to try to chain your body image issues. You may have tried to chain and shackle your shame from poor decisions, but you broke through those chains and you broke through those shackles every time because the sinful craving is stronger than you and I can even understand. And the only thing that can change you is a right relationship with Jesus Christ because he's the only one that can do spiritual heart surgery. I can already hear it. Some of you are like, man, that may have worked for you, but you don't know my story. You don't know the abuse I've been through. You don't know the way the thing, you don't know the way I've abused things that I wasn't supposed to. You don't know the drugs I've done or the relationships I've been in or the places I've lived. I don't know if Jesus can help me. And with as much love, and I may, I may not know you, and so please hear this, not as loving, I'm not as unloving. But if that is your mentality, that comes from a heart that is arrogant. It is your pride to think that your sin is greater than the grace of God Almighty. And that just proves to you how strong the enemy has you in his grip. And you are enslaved to your shame. And you are enslaved to your pain and your past. And the enemy has you right where he wants you. And it's from a heart that is arrogant that says that God can't change me. If God can change this man, if God can change this man, he can change anybody. Has your life been changed by Jesus? One of the ways you know that your life has been changed by Jesus is that you are no longer defined by your past. This guy, when Jesus says, what's your name? The, the demon begins to speak. And he says, my name is Legion. But Jesus looks back at the guy and says, not today. <laughs> this is not what you're going to be known by anymore. Listen, listen, if you've come in here and you are plagued from your past, listen, you're not identified, you're not your past anymore. You're not a hoe. You're not an addict. You're not a liar. You're not a failure. You're not full of shame. You're not such and such as ex-girlfriend or such and such as ex-boyfriend. You're not the sum total of your sin. You have a name and it's not your shame. It's not your past. That Jesus looks at you and, and he calls you by your name when your enemy's trying to call you by shame. And he wants to redefine you. And listen, Jesus can change anybody, even you. Has Jesus changed your life? See, the reason why I know Jesus can change you is because of what Jesus went through. The Bible teaches that spiritually we were all naked. 
Spiritually, we were all living amongst the dead. And, and, and spiritually, we, we were helpless. We were hopeless. And that only Jesus could save us. And the way that Jesus chose to save us was by taking our place, y'all. This is the greatest story ever told. That Jesus looks at us in all of our dysfunction, in all of our sin, in all of our problems and pain. And he says, I'll take their place. See, the Bible goes on to record that Jesus... He was crucified, and on the cross, he was isolated. He was stripped naked. He was bound and bleeding and in pain, crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus wasn't living among the tombs, but he was crucified, and he was put in a tomb. Why? So that you and I could have his righteousness, so that you and I could have his sober mind, so that you and I could have his community with God in eternity. It's the great exchange. And the reason why I know that Jesus can change your life is because he's changed my life and he's proven that he means what he says because he died for you and he died for me and then he rose from the grave. And why did he do this? So that those who, that were seduced into their own slavery could rush to the feet of Jesus in all of our mess and all of our shame and be set free. Has your life been changed by Jesus? Maybe you're sitting there thinking, I, I, I don't know. I, I, what, what, are, what are some of the symptoms? What are some of the fruit of my life being changed by Jesus? Well, well, here's some of the symptoms. Here's some of the fruit of your life being changed by Jesus. Question number two, basically you just ask, well, how do I know? How do I know? Let me give you five questions that you can ask based upon what this guy experienced. The first question is this. Well, am I free? Am I free? This guy, he was, he was free from his slavery of sin. You're never going to be free from the struggle of sin, but you can in Christ be free from the slavery of sin, from the bondage of sin. One of the ways that you know that your life has been changed by Jesus is that you're walking in increasing freedom from your sin. You may have grown distant in your relationship with God, going back to that example, but you are progressively taking steps back towards your relationship with God and away from your sin. The second question that you can ask is, am I sitting at the feet of Jesus? This guy, was, he, it says he was sitting right there at the feet of Jesus. What does this look like for you and me? Are you, are you reading God's word? Are you spending time in prayer? Do you want a relationship with God? Some of us want all the benefits of a relationship with God with none of the commitment. That's not how it works in any relationship. Are you sitting at the feet of Jesus? Third question is this, am I clothed? Again, the Bible, nakedness in the Bible is a euphemism for shame. What that means is, am, am I clothed? What that means is that am I being covered from my shame? Am I, am I ceasing to do the things that once caused me shame? Am I walking in guilt-free living? Am I believing the promises of God that says, as far as the east is from the west, is so far as God has removed your sin? Are you clothed? The next thing is this. The next question is, am I sober-minded? This guy was sitting there at the feet of Jesus clothed, and he was in his right thinking. Are you able to cut through the cloudiness of temptation and of, sub, uh, and of seduction? Are you able to cut through the cloudiness of, of this lie or that lie? Are you sober-minded? And then the last thing, you can ask yourself, how do I know if my life's been changed by Jesus? Am I obedient? Am I obedient? One of, one of my good friends that actually works here at the church now, he's a young adult, and 
One of the ways I can tell you that Jesus can change your life is because he's changed my life, but, but let me tell you about this guy's life that's been changed. A guy that was abused by one of his family members growing up. A guy that went on to abuse other things and try to find consolation and found himself uh, facing the felony charge because of drug addiction and drug sales. And then Jesus got a hold of his life and that's just a couple of data points of things that could have caused him to go this way or that way and far away from God Almighty. But Jesus changed his life, y'all. And he changed his life and then gave him not only forgiveness but a future. Not only pardon from a sin but gave him a purpose that he changed his life and then he called him to share his story. And he shared his story with a guy tonight. I got to walk up on the conversation. He said, let me tell you how Jesus has changed my life. And listen, if he can do it for that man, if he can do it for this man, if he can do it for this man, he can do it for you. Has your life been changed by Jesus? And are you increasing in these things that we see in this man's life? Verse 17, we see that this man was obedient. Here's how it plays out. He says, and the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. The demons were pleading, they were begging. Now the crowd's begging and Jesus, it says, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. You get the point here. Three different types of people are begging. One is the demons begging. Don't send us there. Jesus, he compromises. He obliges. He sends them to the pigs. The people are begging, Jesus, would you leave? And Jesus, he, you know, if I was Jesus, I'd be like, don't tell me what to do. I'm God. But he goes with it. He gets in the boat. But then when the guy that's life was changed begs to go with them, here's what Jesus says in verse 19. No. No. He says, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. Jesus says to them, it's better for you to stay here. So you're in the scene, right? The pigs have just died. I don't know if they're floating in the water by now. All of the communities come around and they're talking to Jesus, but they're freaked out like, bro, you got to go, all right? And then the guy's like, let me go with you. And, and Jesus, you know, all the disciples are kind of like, what, what are we doing here? Like, you know, what's, what's the verdict, you know? And then Jesus says, no. And all the disciples are like, yes. You know, like, they're just like, okay, good. And they're just kind of backing out with their oars and there's like dead pigs hitting the boat and they're like, what just happened, you know? Like, we don't even know, we don't have a category for this. Matthew, write it down. Peter, don't forget this, you know, and they're like, we need to capture this, and everyone's like, we won't forget this one, you know, and they just kind of back out, this guy standing on the shore, looking at Jesus, thinking, there goes the man that changed my life, and when I begged to be with him, and to go there where he was going, for some reason, he left me here. The disciples, they just went on with their life. They just went to business as normal, back to doing ministry with Jesus. But what happened with this guy? Well, we don't have to wonder what happened with this guy. It tells us in verse 20, it says this. So the man started off to visit the 10 towns of that region, and he began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed at what he told them. This word proclaim is the Greek word caruso. It literally means to preach. 
And so you get the picture, this guy's life was changed by Jesus, and then Jesus says, you stay here, and you tell all of the people that you come in contact with what I've done for you. And so this demon-possessed man, this maniac, becomes a missionary in his hometown, and he goes out and he begins to show his scars, and he says, these are the, these are the places where I used to cut myself, and he begins to, to show the, the scars on his, on his knees or on his ankles, where these were the shackles I used to put on myself, and he begins to share his story, and then he says, like, it was crazy, I don't remember all the stuff. It was a little bit foggy, but I was in a really dark place. I was in a really bad place. And as I've heard people tell me how bad it was, it was really bad. And I remember just running up to Jesus, and it was an out-of-body experience. And then we get to talk to something that was inside of me that seems dimly familiar. And he calls it out. All of these pigs start running into the water, and like it's just crazy. And then I found myself just having a latte with Jesus and hanging out. And he changed my life. And this man was committed to be a witness of all that Jesus had done for him in the area where Jesus had him. He said, I need you to stay here. And this man, the reason why we're talking about him today is because he followed Jesus' call on his life. And the call on his life is the same call that's on every one of y'all's lives and my life. And here it is, that your life would be changed by Jesus and that you would live a life to go share how Jesus has changed your life. See, everyone in the world, they have scars. Everyone in the world has something that they're not proud of. Everyone in the world has done something, has been somewhere that they'd rather had not ever happened, that they wish they could forget. But not everyone in the world has a savior. And many of you, you do. And we're doing this thing here and there, multiplying the, the movement, multiplying. Paradigm's pregnant. And it doesn't really matter about where you go in the end. It matters about who you know and how you followed him and how you're living out whatever he has called on your life. But first things first, do you know Jesus? And are you living your life now in a way to follow him? We're about to sing a song that says, I'll follow you anywhere. God, I'm a, I'm a, whatever you tell me to do, I'm going to go. If you tell me to go there, I'm going to go there. If you tell me to stay here, I'm going to stay here. Regardless of where I'm at, I'm not going to forsake the mission. Because when Jesus changes your life, it changes everything. And the way that Jesus always reaches a place is he starts by reaching a person. And we are at the precipice of some incredible things. And God is just getting started. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for all that you are. Jesus, I thank you that you came to this guy. What a crazy story. But God, I thank you that it's so full of, of your kindness, of your mercy, of your love, of your grace, of your calmness, that when the disciples are probably freaking out in a storm, you calm the storm. When the disciples are probably freaking out in this situation, you calm the situation because you have authority over those things. What's intimidating to us, what's concerning to us is just another, another day to you because you're the Lord of the universe 
And so, God, I pray if there's somebody here that doesn't know you or if they think that their thing is so big and so dark and so gross that you can't forgive them, I pray that, you, that they would come to you because I just feel like you're leaning over the edge of heaven saying, try me. I'm good at saving. And so, God, I pray that people would they'd place their faith and trust in you tonight. And for those of us that know you, God, that we would be reminded of the courage of this man to do what you've asked him to do, where you've asked him to be, and we would simply preach the good news. And people would be amazed, the same way they were amazed at when you raised the dead, the same way that they were amazed that when you walked on the water, when you fed the thousands, that they would be amazed at the way you changed lives. In Christ's name I pray, amen.